Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I'm very happy that you're here with us today. We've got a really interesting show lined up. We're going to be talking about how to protect the stuff that you're working so hard to build, right? A lot of us spend a tremendous amount of time working in our businesses and on our businesses and making things happen. And we need to make sure that as we're doing that, we're protecting ourselves. But there is no protecting us from my co-host today, Riding into the studio, I see him approaching right now on his noble white steed, the one, the only, Mr. Dean Holland. I love the seamless segue into there is no protecting us. And you'd be right. (laughs) How are you doing, James? Excellent. (laughs) Yes, I was equally as proud of myself. Yeah, I imagine so. That's probably the greatest thing you're going to say all day. So you might as well just be quiet now. Well, if I'm quiet and you never talk on the show and ask questions, <laughs> then our poor guest is going to feel all alone. <laughs> Speaking of guests, who do we have? Yes. So we have Andre Minkov, expert in trademarks, branding, protecting your intellectual property. Somebody I met at a conference a few years ago. We kicked it off with really interesting conversation. We're both drummers. Andre, it's really great to have you on the show, man. Uh, likewise, I'm here sitting, smiling from year to year because looks like this is going to be a great show. So let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So I guess one of the things that you're really passionate about, you said to me before, was that you shouldn't spend any time working on something if you don't actually own it as far as like a brand goes. And I feel like that's kind of a really good piece of advice. And I'd like to just start by unpacking what you mean by that. Yeah, Sure. Well, really, that's exactly what I mean. There's no reason in the world you'd spend a minute of your life or a dollar out of your pocket going out there in promoting a brand that's actually not yours. Because unless you have secured the rights to it, all you're doing is you're hoping and praying that you will have the time to protect it before it goes so big that it's stolen from you, right? That's even assuming that you could initially own the rights to it. A lot of entrepreneurs find out the hard way that they picked a name that they couldn't use from day one, right? And that's the stuff that that really pains me because I know how hard it is to build a successful business. You know, I know what it takes, all the sleepless nights, all the hard decisions, all the things we do, despite everyone not even believing that we can do it, But finally, we get there and finding out then that you have to start all over again from from the branding perspective. We've unfortunately had to witness a lot of those horror stories with some of our clients. Well, so before we get into some of the sort of stories about that, I'd like to hear where did this come from? It's pretty fundamental to you. Was there a personal situation that sort of happened to you at some point where you're just like, oh, like this is a major issue and I'm going to help other people with it? Or was it? you know, just something else entirely? 
Well, there's, there's obviously a chain of events as it usually happens. I got into the intellectual property industry while I was still living in Russia. And you can, I don't know if you can guess it by my accent, but I can make it easier for you to guess it from my accent, I guess. <laughs> there it is. But, there it yeah. is. <laughs> but uh, so it all came from my dad, who was a famous composer in Russia, Mark Minkov. He wrote music for over 160 movies there. One day when I was just in the middle of my Russian law school, he caught a radio station that took his music and made an ad out of it for Samsung without his permission. Oh, wow. And so he called the radio station, told them that they couldn't just take his music and use it as they pleased. They told him to sit down, shut up, and be happy that they're making him even more famous by using his music for a Samsung commercial. And he was having wow. none of it. So he asked me if I could help him take this to court. And in Russia, actually, you don't need to be a licensed attorney to represent clients in civil litigation. So I helped him out. We had to take so this what case. Were you, hold on. Wait, wait a second. Like, why were you the logical person helping? What were you doing at this point? I was a law student. Oh, law student. Okay. And I was his son. So, right. <laughs> so he asked me if I could, as a law student, help him take this to court and that, sure, let's do this. <laughs> knowing nothing about intellectual property <laughs> or really knowing nothing about what to do in a courtroom. It's kind of how Dean and I started this podcast. Neither one of us had any idea what to do to start a podcast, but we did it anyway. <laughs> there you go. And it worked, apparently. <laughs> well, I, I like I, how I, you I, compared the podcast to uh, representation in court there, James. Good. Yeah, well, it was just as difficult. <laughs> Some may even think that it worked out for you guys. So, <laughs> Right, yeah, indeed. Dean's mom, especially. <laughs> There. Uh, <laughs> what happened, I had to take this case, the very, the very first case, all the way up to Supreme Court, one instance below Supreme Court of Russia, right? Because there was appeals on both hands. Anyway, several years after I won and became so passionate about this that I decided to do nothing else. And then 12 years ago, when I decided to leave Russia and move to Canada, had to go back to law school, did my second law school in Canada. I'm probably one of the few people who enjoyed doing two law schools <laughs> rather than one. And when I was done, I found myself in a situation where nobody wanted to hire me. I was When I was moving to Canada, I expected that after all my experience in Russia, you know, all the big names that I've worked for like Apple, Microsoft, DreamWorks, J.K. Rowling, I thought, okay, I go to Canada, I go through the law school and probably going to have a lineup of law firms that would be dying to offer me a position of, a, of an attorney with them. Well, that did not happen for whatever reason, even though I finished top of my class in Canadian law school. So I started my own company and this was really my first plunge into the world of entrepreneurship, starting with Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. That's really when everything changed for me because I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I never thought of myself as somebody who could lead a team, never thought of myself as somebody who could just build something. But hey, <laughs> it happened, which is why I said it's so personal to me when I see what happens with entrepreneurs who pour their heart and soul building something and then realizing they have to start from scratch. So what is it? Is it the feeling that you saw that happened in certain case with your dad and you're just like, oh, I don't want anyone else to have to go through that anymore? Or like, what is it exactly that just bothers you so much? Well, it's first the understanding of what intellectual property is and how deeply personal it is when somebody steals it from you. 
all right? Because it's not just about it's not just about you, you know, hiring a lawyer who who defends it for you. The problem with when somebody steals your intellectual property is that it just pisses you off so much that it consumes you. Unless you're a billion dollar company that has pretty much unlimited budget on lawyers, this dispute will consume you, right? It's the big guys that can like, okay, let's tell our team to go and, and sue the hell out of the, the, the other side. And they don't even notice, right? To them, it's just something they may have a look at at the end of the year. Well, how much did we spend on lawyers this year? Well, okay, right? With smaller businesses, it's often a decision of life and death, for the business. So that's why I'm passionate about this because right. it's so easy to prevent. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's talk about that. Dean, yeah. let's get to some tips here. Okay. Yes. Let's jump in. Dean has been waiting. So you said people don't necessarily have a great understanding of what intellectual property is. So what right. is intellectual property? Intellectual property is for small guys, really, it's the only way to compete with big guys because when you come up with something new and amazing, the only way for you to protect it from being stolen by the big guys is intellectual property. It has different forms. It could be copyright. It could be a patent. It could be a trademark. We happen to focus on trademarks in this business called Trademark Factory. What trademarks are all about is your brand. And today, with especially with the competitive industries, and more of them are getting competitive today than ever before, the only way you're going to have a successful business is if you can differentiate yourself, right? Right. You can't just go to a networking event and say, hey, I'm a app programmer or hey, I'm a digital marketer because there's dime a dozen of those. So unless you can make people remember you, you don't have a chance. And that's what brands do. We always say that, Really, there's three things about brands that can contribute to a successful business. It has to be unique, right? A unique brand is better than a great brand. It's not about coming up with a clever wording for the brand. It's about building a unique brand over time, right? The second part of it, it has to be memorable and memorable, not just to yourself, but memorable to your target market. If nobody can remember your brand, you don't have a valuable brand. And three, it needs to be well protected because if you got a unique and memorable brand, but you don't own it, well, you got a problem. So let's talk about how do you own that? Well, there's two parts of that. The first part is going back to what I mentioned earlier is even knowing that you got something trademarkable, something that's ownable. What most entrepreneurs do is they do some some lousy Google search to see, well, is this name taken? Oh, the domain name is available. Okay, let me take the domain name. Some of them may go and do-it-yourself trademark search, you know, either using the you know, one of the websites with the automated searches that are going to tell you, search here. And if they didn't see it, if they didn't find it in the database, they're like, oh, great. You can buy a trademark from us for like $69. Because 69 is a great number, of course. Yes, it's, uh, that's the special that it, Dean gives when he's doing burlesque for a private dance is also <laughs> that's how much that costs. <laughs> <laughs> and I have it on good authority. There were several takers on that offer this past weekend. <laughs> yes. Good for you, Dean. <laughs> well, it's that kind of show. <laughs> Nothing like that to derail the entire conversation. <laughs> 
Oh, goodness. No, but the point is that people are doing it and they're not getting the information that is accurate, right? The example that I use all the time, because I tested it personally, I went on a few websites and I searched for Microsoft software solutions. Right. Okay. The, the third-party websites that kind of provide you with an automated trademark search to pitch you after said, mm. Sure. Microsoft Software Solutions looks available. Go for it. Uh, and then I did. I said, sure, take my money. Let's file for Microsoft Software Solutions. Let's see what happens. And then a couple of weeks later, I heard back from an attorney from that company. And they said, you know what? We did our thorough research here. And we th- we're of the opinion that the brand you picked might not be really trademarkable. I'm like, really? <laughs> Why is that? So... Uh, They said, well, you know, there's this other trademark out there, Microsoft, that may be standing in your way. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Can I get my money back? And they said, no, because we spent so much time figuring out that your trademark would not be trademarkable. Unfortunately, we can't give you your money back. So that was that. Uh, Or you could search for Microsoft Software Solutions on, let's say, USPTO, so U.S. Trademarks and a Patent Trademarks Office website, and they'll give you like 800,000 hits on when you search for Microsoft software solutions, good luck figuring that out. (laughs) So if there's one tip I can give to any entrepreneur, any business owner, whether they're just starting out or whether they've been doing it for some time, is to get somebody to do a proper trademark or somebody who understands what they're doing, trademark attorney. It's not just about you not knowing what to search for. It's also about probably not understanding how to interpret the results. Right. So you want somebody who's going to come up with an opinion, a registrability opinion for you that would say, this is a name that you picked, which is good, or this is a name you picked, which is not good. And just as you need a domain name for whatever brand you picked, you also need something that's trademarkable and you want to trademark it as quickly as possible. Because again, you want to be the first one to understand the value of the brand. And if you look at the most successful companies out there, right? Now they're billion-dollar companies, but if you look back at them, you will notice that invariably they would be filing their first trademark applications either a few months after they were in business or some of them even before they went in business. And there's a lesson there. That was something I was going to ask, actually, is like, when should somebody start looking at this? Is it before they ever bring anything to market and they haven't got a, a proven business idea or, you know, should they prove it first and then look at this? Like, what do you advise in that sense? So a lot of business owners are looking for some external validation, some, you know, manifestation of like, yeah, now this is a real business. Now let's do this. <laughs> right. But really has nothing to do with external validation because there is no magic number beyond which you realize this is a real business, right? For some, it could be 50,000 a year. For some, it could be 10,000 a year. For some, it could be 5 million a year, right? And if you're waiting for that sign from above that somebody's going to say, Bob, today, this became a real business. Now it's time to do the things you do with a real business that that ain't going to happen. Right. right? So it really boils down to the mindset of what it is that we're hoping to build with this. You know, I'll give you two examples that I think 
actually three examples that I think best describe this. First one is Uber. They may have, you know, various troubles on the legal side, on the PR side, but one thing they did right is that they filed their first trademark application two months before they even launched. Right. right? So they knew that if they were to become successful, the brand would be valuable, a massive part of the value of the of the business, right? And now it's worth over $50 billion, just the brand itself. Coca-Cola filed their trademark in 1892 while they were selling just nine drinks a day. Wow, okay. Right. I call it a lemonade stand with a dream. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because they knew that what they were building was bigger than right. a lemonade stand. They right. knew that if they were successful in the end of the day, after all their efforts came to be, the brand would be the most valuable asset they'll ever own. And now that's exactly the case. Right. And last one, I, I wish we were doing video because I could share the picture with you. But if you Google, actually, if you Google images for Jeff Bezos, 1999, you will see an amazing picture. It's probably the most inspirational picture of from the entrepreneurial world, at least for me. So you got Jeff sitting on a old computer in a tiny little office like it just looks it just looks so small and you could tell the guy is not making a lot of money right. uh you could tell he's more consumed with building 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 he's uh, there by himself he's got a huge handwritten sign that says amazon.com oh, yes I'm looking at it now i've seen this picture and it is really inspiring it's amazing now guess what else he had in 1999 he had two trademark registrations for Amazon.com and Amazon.com books. Mm. So he filed their, his trademark in 1997, I believe. So no, actually he filed in 1995 and he got them registered by 1997. So this guy, right, knew back then that this might work, this might not work. He was willing to put in the hours. He was willing to do the sacrifices. But he knew that if he wants to get where he wants to get, he needed to protect it, and he did. So it's very easy to dismiss, you know, the big companies now. Like, of course, they got billions of dollars; they can file as many. And actually, Amazon now Amazon owns close to thirteen hundred trademarks now in the U.S. Wow. But you know, it's like I said, it's easy to dismiss now that they're big. But they all did it while they were small, and probably that's the reason they became big. Because well, it's, they, it, you know, as you're talking about, it, it's also you know suggesting to me that somebody who is intending to build something mm. does this, right? Somebody yeah. who's just kind of like, all right, I, I'm just doing whatever I'm doing to make cash is not thinking this way because they're not thinking long range about building this into a real asset. Right. Exactly. And that's why I said it's not about any physical manifestation. It's about the mindset more than anything else. Yeah, I love that lemonade stand with a dream. If you believe in the idea enough to actually go into business, then you should believe in it enough to at least trademark the idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that why you didn't trademark your food truck, Dean? Yeah, because I think you... that was just a temporary solution, yes. Right. Yeah, I could totally see that. <laughs> but it is also the exact same reason I have trademarked my nipple tassels for the burlesque act. <laughs> yes, that's right. The famed t nipple tassels. Yeah. <laughs> so, Andre, what's the next step after somebody trademarks it and or goes to to file the trademark like how do i have confidence that then i own this thing that i can build upon it and what do i do 
for people who are attacking my brand, right? Because eventually, like somebody probably comes along and infringes on your stuff too. Yeah. So with trademarks, I look at trademarks mostly as a gun that you wish you never have to use, right? It's something that's that you better own and never have to use. Insurance policy. Yes. (laughs) Okay. You could use that analogy as well. They don't have guns in the United Kingdom. So he's not sure what to do with that information. Right. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Insurance policy. Yeah. The analogy is, you know, sometimes to say, well, you know, I got this trademark. Nobody really wanted to steal from me anyway. So I wasted my money. I'm like, this is pretty much the same as being upset that you have a fire insurance and your house didn't burn down. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, how dumb is it? <laughs> what, do you, what do you really think, Andre? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean that trademarks, again, they're, unlike fire insurance or unlike a gun, there's two sides to them. One, it's protection. That's the insurance side of it. But two, it's an asset in and of itself. Because if you're planning to license your business or franchise your business or even sell your business in the future, nobody's going to buy a franchise from you if you don't own what you're selling, right? So this is to size that. But in terms of defending the brand, it's miles easier to go after somebody with a registered trademark and say, hey, we own this and the government is going to help us protect this brand against you. So do what we tell you, right? Th- th- this is why demand letters, all the cis and desist letters, that's why they work because the lawyers will say, hey, our client owns this and this and this trademark and it has come to our client's attention that you were a bad boy and you did this, this and this. We own those rights and we will crush you in court. So we suggest that you immediately stop doing what you were doing, pay our client, whatever. And if you don't have a registered trademark, what happens with most of those demand letters is that they get ignored. Right. Right. Because if you haven't bothered to spend a few thousand dollars trademarking your brand, everyone knows that you're not going to spend, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars on a lawsuit. Right. Right. But if you did do your homework, if you did acquire those registrations, then the person who gets that letter on the receiving end of that letter was like, they're probably serious about protecting their brand. Maybe I should find a way to make them go away. And that would typically be by rebranding, by taking down what they tell you to take down, hoping that they're not going to go after the money. That's kind of the usual process. Right. So you mentioned the cost. What's a typical cost to get a trademark? So we, I'm going to talk about us, Trademark Factory, because we have a unique model. We do trademarks the way that nobody's done before and the way that nobody else is doing still. So instead of luring you in with a kind of low filing fee at the outset, which is what most companies do, and then they charge you by the hour to fix the trademark application that they filed, because it's a long process, right? In the US, it takes about 14 months on average. In Canada, it's over two years now. Because here's the thing, you file your application, it sits and waits in the trademarks office months and months, and then they get back to you with a letter where they list things they didn't like about it, and then you write back, and then they write back, and this accumulates, right? So this is how your $69 trademark application filing becomes a $6,900 nightmare. So what we did is I looked at the market, what everyone else was doing. And I decided to do the opposite. 
So the things that make Trademark Factory unique in this sense is that, first of all, we have a comprehensive trademark search included in all of our packages, right? So we start with that. And if it's not doable, you get a full refund. So essentially, you get a free trademark search with an opinion for free if it's not registrable. If it's registrable, we'll tell you, great, we just did the search. We can confirm that we think it's doable. Let's do it. And then one flat fee that covers everything from start to finish, from that search to you getting a trademark registration certificate and a custom frame in the mail. And there's a 100% money back guarantee if it doesn't get there. So if for whatever reason we do the search, we think it's doable, but we get a final rejection, after we spend all of our efforts trying to convince the trademark examiner to overcome that objection, if it still doesn't go through, you get all your money back. And the amount is just $3,000. So right. it's obviously more than $69, but you know exactly what the whole thing is. Mm-hmm. So when I came up with this model, basically I try to model a service that I would myself be happy to jump into, right? For me, the ability to know exactly what it's going to cost is more important than saving a few hundred bucks and hope and pray that it might go through, especially if it's backed by the guarantee that if I don't get the result that I paid for, I get all my money back. So that was the reasoning behind uh, Trademark Factory. And this model has been wildly successful. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I think that's a cool way to package up a really great offer also. Yeah, I think more than anything, Dean, you know, there's not a lot of conversation that I hear happening about brand protection and intellectual property protection with, you know, in direct response marketing and people are creating products Mm. and, you know, doing all this sorts of stuff. And I think Andre's right. Like they're just kind of building something that, may just be not on a foundation at all. Yeah. I mean, if I look at myself, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I only started thinking about any of this kind of area in the last, gosh, maybe like two years. I was in the the category that Andre wouldn't like. I was in business for eight years before I even crossed my mind that I might want to do something. I tell you why it even crossed my mind is because uh, people started saying to me like, oh, I've, I've seen this guy promoting your product. Like, is he involved with you? <laughs> and I'm like, No, like, and I had a look and it was somebody in the same industry selling a a very different product, but with the same name. And I'm like, oh crap, huh? I can't do anything about this now. What do I do? And he was heavily advertising on social media. And it was just literally like every week we started getting, you know, five, 10 different people contacting us saying like, is this you? Like, do I talk with them about this? And it was like, no, that's a very different business. It's nothing to do with us. And that was the very first time Mm. that I thought, oh, crap, I think I've not done something right here. Like I should have learned something else. And this was obviously the avenue. And so, you know, we were very much, and we actually, I actually took the path of changing my name, like of our main program. So actually after years of having a program, a very successful program, I then rebranded myself. (laughs) So it was a, a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, and that story we hear over and over again, because at that point, when the market is saturated with competing products right. with the same name, then what do you do? Yeah. Right. Well, so in the digital marketing world, you know, one of the people I look up at is Todd Brown. Right. Yeah. Great guy. Right. He teaches this idea of unique mechanism, right? About even if you do exactly the same thing that everyone else does, you come up with a with an angle that makes you unique and you give that angle a name, right? The system, you know, the rainbow and lollipops method, 
Whatever, James right? already has that trademark, so you can't use that one, Andre. I'm sorry. That's right. So, but for illustration purposes, I'll allow it. Right. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so for illustration purposes only, right. right? when you come up with a rainbow and lollipops method, as silly as it is, public thinks that you've got something special, right? something new and something special. I actually had a video in our YouTube channel. By the way, I, we post a new video every single day on the channel on trademarks, which when I started, I didn't think there'd be so many topics. <laughs> but one of the videos, I actually went to his unconverted book, just explained that the one step missing is, okay, you came up with the angle of the unique mechanism, you came up, came up with a unique name, but to put the cherry on top, you got to trademark that and that makes the whole thing work. And there's so many examples when people do the exact same thing that everyone else around them does, but because they've got a name mm. and then they own the name, that becomes the business, that becomes the, the money machine that makes everyone happy. Right. Right, the, the skyscraper technique. They, did, did you guys know that Starbucks, they had to buy a company that owned the name Frappuccino? Oh, really? No, I didn't. That's amazing. They liked the name. They realized that it was taken. They bought the company that owned the trademark on Frappuccino. Oh, wow. And now, here, here's the funny thing. Anybody can make iced coffee, right? They knew that they couldn't protect the recipe. But because they owned the trademark... Nobody else can call their iced coffee frappuccino. Right. Right. And that became the huge money generator for Starbucks. Because if you wanted to get frappuccino, well, where do you get one? You can only get one in Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing too. You can't, you, they couldn't protect the recipe, but they could protect the name. And that just shows like the real power of marketing. But you're talking about protecting what, all of that effort that you're doing on marketing. And so I feel like this is just a super great eye-opening conversation. Mm. I've had a couple trademarks and things like that. And I know that there's been difficulties in not having them and then benefits in having them. And so if you guys are building something, I love the idea of, you know, lemonade stand with a dream. Mm. If you're thinking about protecting your intellectual property, then go to trademarkfactory.com and talk with Andre and his team and see if they can help you out. Dean, anything else that you'd like to add as parting shots before we No, go? no, just to say uh, thank you to Andre for coming and sharing this. I think it's definitely, uh, I would say it's probably one of those things that a lot of people are aware of and they probably understand that it's valuable, but they don't really do a lot with it. So I think you've been able to yeah. share a message here that should hopefully at least plant a seed in people's mind that maybe can grow and they can do something about. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much, Andre. We appreciate having you. If I may add... Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, Dean, should we allow this? What do you think? We, I'm sorry, Andre, we have to put this to a vote, really fast. Yes, please. That just was unmissable. Yeah. I, okay, I'm with you. Let's do this. <laughs> so, speaking of tips, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna create a page, trademarkfactory.com/tips, just to honor you guys. Ah, yeah. excellent. What that's gonna do is this will allow the audience to. Book a call with one of our strategy advisors. It's a free call. They'll know exactly that you came from, from this show. They'll have a conversation with you about your business, about your brand. They'll be able to help you figure out what to trademark, when to trademark, even if you even need to trademark, right? Because their goal is not to convince you to do something you don't want to do. Their goal is to figure out why you're trying to do this, what's so valuable about your brand, and if everything fits together, they'll welcome you to the Trademark Factory family. So trademarkfactory.com forward slash tips. There it is. Trademarkfactory.com forward slash tips. 
Thank you, Andre. Thank you, Dean, for being here. And thank you to you guys for listening. We appreciate you. Make sure you tell your friends about us and we will talk with you guys next time. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, visit me for free training and resources at jamespfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.